Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. show we'll be talking about a man who was a religious, social and educational reformer who challenged traditional Hindu culture. His grave in Arnesvale is a site of pilgrimage and he sadly passed away in Bristol in 1833. But what else happened that year? Well on April the 18th over 300 delegates from England, Scotland, Wales and Ireland travelled to the office of the Prime Minister the Earl Grey, to call for the immediate abolition of slavery throughout the British Empire. And on August the 28th, the British Slavery Abolition Act 1833 began the process of giving slaves in much of the British Empire their freedom. It receives royal assent, coming into effect on August the 1st, 1834. A £20 million fund is established to compensate slave owners. And there have been claims the money was not paid back by the British taxpayer until 2015. However, this claim is based on a technicality as to how the British government financed their debt through undated gilts. According to the Treasury, the slave debts could have been paid off as early as 1833 or any time before 1927, as no record of gilt redemptions before 1927 exists. It was only when the British government modernised the gilt portfolio in 2015 by redeeming all remaining undated gilts was there complete certainty that the debt was paid off. The long gap between this money being borrowed and certainty of repayment was due to the type of financial instrument that was used rather than the amount of money borrowed. On August the 29th of that year, the Parliament of the United Kingdom enacts the Factory Act limiting child labour. On August the 31st, the chartered ship Amphitrite sinks off Boulogne-sur-Mer while undertaking the penal transportation of 108 British female convicts and 12 children from Woolwich to New South Wales, with the loss of 133 lives. Only three crew survived. But our sad event took place on the 27th of September in a house in Stapleton, Bristol, where Raja Ram Mohan Roy passed away. Word of the Week And this week's offering is... Muckraker. 
1906, Teddy Roosevelt used this word in a speech to disparagingly describe unscrupulous journalists digging in the muck for juicy gossip. He discovered the term muckrake in a more literal sense in the book Pilgrim's Progress and tweaked it for his own purposes. But as time has gone on, its connotations have changed into something more positive. Journalists who took risks in order to expose corruption or scandal to the public could also be muckrakers. One of my favourite places in Bristol is Arnesvale Cemetery, which is a stunning Victorian landscape dedicated to the dead. As might be expected from such an old cemetery, parts of Arnesvale are so higgledy-piggledy it's impossible to count the number of graves. When it opened in the 1800s, child mortality was high and so many of the older graves hold up to six or seven people each. Anyone who enters by the Bath Road gate will swiftly be met by what looks like a mini Taj Mahal. It is the most visited grave in the cemetery as people pay homage to Raja Ram Mohan Roy, the famous Hindu man born in the 1700s who campaigned against widow burning, child marriage and the caste system. Ram Mohan Roy was born on the 22nd of May, 1772, in Radhanagar, India, to a wealthy Brahmin caste family who were very religious. From a young age, he thought a lot about religion and belief and nearly became a monk. His father... Ramkanto Roy was a scholar of Sanskrit, Persian and English languages. He also knew Arabic, Latin and Greek. Ram himself wrote in a letter which appeared in the Literary Gazette of October 1833. My dear friend, in conformity with the wish you have frequently expressed that I should give you an outline of my life, I have now the pleasure to send you the following very brief sketch. When I was about 16, I composed a manuscript calling in question the validity of the idolostrous system of the Hindus. This, together with my known sentiments on that subject, having produced a coolness between me and my immediate kindred, I proceeded on my travels and passed through different countries, chiefly within, but some beyond, the bounds of Hindustan, with a feeling of great aversion to the establishment of the British power in India. When I had reached the age of 20, my father recalled me and restored me to his favour, after which I saw and began to associate with Europeans, and soon made myself tolerably acquainted with their laws and form of government. Finding them generally more intelligent, more steady and moderate in their conduct, I gave up my prejudice against them and became inclined in their favour, feeling persuaded that their rule, though a foreign yoke, would lead more speedily and surely to an amulatorian and of nature inhabitants, and I enjoyed and in confidence of several of them, of even in their public capacity. Not much is known about Ram's early life, but it is widely believed that he travelled a great deal and picked up languages like Persian, Arabic and English, as well as Sanskrit Bengali and Hindi. As a young man, he used these skills to study ancient religious texts and philosophies, 
Later, his brilliance with languages allowed him to publish on multiple issues and communicate with a diverse range of people. It's worth mentioning that as a wealthy member of the social elite, Ram Mahoon could have led a life of luxury. However, he chose to use his influence, intelligence and skills to improve the lives of other people. As a religious thinker, Ram was very against some religious practices in India, in particular those affecting women and children. Ram vowed to oppose Sati after his sister-in-law died by jumping into the pyre of his brother, Jag Mahoon, in 1811. He led many protests and wrote petitions to the British calling for its abolition. Thanks to his efforts, the British banned it in 1829. Although there are isolated incidents of Sati recorded in India in the late 20th century, leading to the Indian government promoting the idea of the Sati Prevention Act 1887, criminalising the aiding or glorifying of Sati. After his success with Sati, Roy went on to fight child marriage, the Purda system, which is the religious and social act of segregating women from men either physically or by covering their whole form, their face, their bodies, so they hide themselves. Roy also helped to fight the dowry system and polygamy. Intercaste marriages, women's education and widow remarriages were all things he supported. At this time, India was part of the British Empire and Sati was being tolerated under the rule of the East India Company. Ram Mahon Roy campaigned directly to the company to have it banned. In 1828, he set up the Society of Brahmos, which was a movement of Bengali Brahmins who fought against social ills. This organisation still exists today, and many of its members visit the memorial of Raja Ram Mohan Roy to remember his influence and good works. Eventually, the Governor-General of British India passed a regulation in 1829, and even after his death, his legacy was used to fight for the abolishment of slavery. (laughs) Word on the street. This week we're going to the area of Bristol called Lockleys and John James Court. John James was born in 1906 in Bedminster, the son of a docker. He served in the RAF as a radio operator and after the war opened a radio shop in Kingswood. After the tragic death of his daughter Dawn in a traffic accident, he set up a trust fund to the value of £10 million in her memory to give senior citizens of the area coach outings. He also donated vast sums to local hospitals. As part of his work to spread education, Ram Mohan Roy also started publishing newspapers and magazines, and he was called the father of Indian journalism. Using his language skills, he edited the Bengali newspaper Sambag Kamudi and the Persian newspaper Mirat-ul-Akbar. 
He would later write, After my father's death, I opposed the advocates of idolatry and with still greater boldness, availing myself of the art of printing now established in India, I published various works and pamphlets against the errors in the native and foreign languages. This raised such a feeling against me that I was at last deserted by every person except two or three Scotch friends, to whom, and to the nation to which they belong, I always feel grateful. You're listening to Alice on the Backtracker History Show. I'd like to take a moment to say a huge thank you to Sarah Harvey from Patchway, who sent me a lovely email regarding the show about the Somerset Witch. She says that she's always been interested in local superstitions and lore, and that particular story was right up her street. She even sent me a link to a story about the Witch's Ladder, which was a creepy discovery in an old Somerset attic. Apparently, when an old house in Wellington was demolished in 1878, they found items associated with witchcraft. There were six brooms, an old armchair, and, the most curious of the lot, a one and a half metre long piece of string with chicken feathers woven into it. And the workmen who found these objects assumed that the chair was for the witches to rest in and the broom for them to fly about, and a string to act like a ladder to help them get across roofs. What really fueled this superstition was that local people thought that a woman who had lived and died in that building was actually a witch. So as you can imagine, these finds really strengthened that notion. And speculation about the items found, especially the witch's ladder, as the feather entwined string became known, stretch way past Somerset, and some of the Victorian world's most eccentric scholars, writers and folklorists got in on the act. The Wellington Witch's Ladder now hangs in the Witchcraft and Magic Case in the Pitt Rivers Museum, part of Oxford University, where you'll also find other artefacts, such as shrunken heads. The ladder was donated in 1911 by Anna Tyler, the wife of Edward Burnett Tyler, who lectured in anthropology at Oxford and was the keeper of the University Museum. When she sent the ladder to the Pitt Rivers Museum, Mrs Tyler included a note, which read, The witch's ladder came from here, Wellington. An old woman, said to be a witch, died. This was found in an attic and sent to my husband. It was described as made of stag's feathers and was thought to be used for getting away the milk from the neighbours' cows. Nothing was said about flying or climbing up. There is a novel called The Witch Ladder by E. Tyler, in which ladder is coiled up in the roof to cause someone's death. Thank you, Sarah, for that nugget of information. I found it really interesting, and I hope you all did too. Before I continue, I'd like to apologise for any mispronunciation of words. I am genuinely trying to get it right and don't mean any disrespect by it. In 1830, Ram Mohan Roy came to Britain as an envoy of the Mughal Emperor, 
Akbar Shah II, who gave him the title of Raja. The Raja Ram was sent to ensure the Sati regulation of 1829 was not overturned by King William and the British government. Raja Ram arrived at Liverpool on board the Albion. Captain MacLeod from Calcutta. Raja Ram arrived at Liverpool on board the Albion. Captained by Captain MacLeod from Calcutta after spending some time visiting Europe in a quest for information as well as expanding his knowledge of the world and seeing sights in countries he'd only read in books. Apparently, he was lame following a minor accident off the Cape of Good Hope. From Liverpool, he travelled by train to Manchester, where he visited many places, such as the Lancastrian School, a factory owned by a Mr McConnell, and Robertson Co. in Moseley Street. All the while, he was travelling with a boy of about 13, who was believed to be his adopted son. And these travels took him through England via places such as Birmingham, on his way to London to hear the debate on the Sarty Bill. Whilst in the UK, he also took the opportunity to visit friends that he'd been writing to on religious and social matters. Ram Muhan Roy came to Bristol to see his friend Lant Carpenter, who was a non-conformist preacher. Whilst in Bristol, he also met Lant's daughter and future social reformer, Mary Carpenter. His visit heavily influenced Mary and she also became a political and social activist. By the way, Mary's grave can also be found at Arnus Vale. Sadly though, during his time in England, the Raja developed meningitis and died in Bristol on September the 27th, 1833. As a Hindu, his body should have been cremated, but this was not allowed at the time in England. In addition to this, he could not be buried in a Christian graveyard. So he was initially buried in the grounds of Beach House, Stapleton Grove. However, such an important man deserved a fitting memorial, and his remains were reburied on May the 29th, 1843, under his new Chartry in Arnus Vale. This was possible as the cemetery was founded as a non-religious site, and his stunning tomb was funded by his friend and co-founder of the Brahmo Samaj, Dwarkanur Tagore. Raja Ram's monument in Arnsvale reads, Beneath this stone rests the remains of Raha Rahamand Roy Bahadur, a conscientious and steadfast believer in the unity of Godhead. He consecrated his life with entire devotion to the worship of the Divine Spirit alone. With great natural talents, he united through mastery of many languages and distinguished himself as one of the greatest scholars of his day. His unwearied labour to promote the social, moral and physical condition of the people of India, his earnest endeavours to suppress idolatry and the right of Suti as his constant, zealous advocacy of whatever tended to advance the glory of God and the welfare of man live in the grateful remembrance of his countrymen. It's worth noting that his last name is not Bahadur, it just means a great man or a brave man. As well as this spectacular monument, the Raja has a life-size bronze statue, which you can find at College Green, between the City Hall and Bristol Cathedral. 
The statue, sculpted by Nirajan Pradhan, was unveiled in 1997. The Raja faces towards America, which would have been his next destination. He also has a portrait, painted by Henry Perronet Briggs, which hangs in the Bristol Museum and Art Gallery. And there is even a pedestrian path at Stapleton, which has been named Raja Ramahun Walk, and is very near the house where he passed away. Once upon a time. Boring. It was the best of times. It was the worst. You got that right. What's your problem? We want new stories. Hi, it's Frankie. And Garrett. And we host the ever-trending story, a weekly podcast where we bring to life a fictional story created by our own minds and some of the hottest, craziest trends from the internet. Find us wherever you download podcasts and be sure to join the fun on social media at EverTrendingPod. In the news today, in Bradley Stoke, a man was horrified when his wife told him that his six-year-old son wasn't actually his. Apparently, he needed to pay more attention during school pickup. Back in the day facts. And this week we'll start with the 12th of March, 1930, when Mahatma Gandhi begins his famous 200 mile or 300 kilometre protest march against the widely hated British salt tax. On the 13th of March, 1968, the Beatles released the single Lady Madonna in the UK. It reached number one and stayed there for two weeks. The song tells the story of an overworked, exhausted, possibly single mother facing a new problem each day of the week, except for Saturday, which they'd forgotten to write about. On the 14th of March 1885, Gilbert and Sullivan's comic opera Mikado premieres in London at the Savoy Theatre. Also on the 14th of March, but in 1964, in Dallas, Texas, Jack Ruby was sentenced to death for killing Lee Harvey Oswald. On the 15th of March, 44 BC, Julius Caesar is stabbed to death by Brutus, Cassius and several other Roman senators on the Ides of March in Rome. And lastly, on the 16th of March, 1869, Hiram R. Revels makes the first official speech by an African-American in the Senate in America. I've always been intrigued by the statue on College Green, as well as the memorial in Arnsvale, so it was great to find out a little bit more about this intriguing character from history. 
But as always, I'd love to thank those that really brought the story to life. And this week we had Max Berry from Bradley Stoke Radio and Molly Jeffries from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol. Thank you for listening to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. This has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And if you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. And if you'd like to support the show with a donation, however small, you can go to ko-fi.com, spelt K-O hyphen F-I. And if you're interested in buying merchandise featuring the show's logo, then pop over to tpublic.com, where you'll find lots of things to choose from. And if you want to get in touch with me, it's perfectly easy. You'll be able to find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking for at BacktrackerUK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or you can email me direct at info at backtracker.co.uk. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>